Paul from First Counselling and welcome to Sincerely Yours, a First Counsellor podcast. Uh, it's a series of blogs, readings and audio meanderings through the world of mental health and well-being. Hello, so I want to carry on with the, the next part of my little e-book, A Gentle Awakening by PJ Cullen, which is available on Amazon.co.uk as an ebook. However, upon um, kind of picking this apart in these podcasts, I've realised how badly edited it is, uh, and I definitely need to go back and and relook at it and upload it again. Um, but it is also available uh, in uh, on my website as a blog you can kind of download and look at. And that's at www.thirstcounselling.co.uk. We've already looked at the the first part of the process of change, uh, which is where we we start. You know, um, we start by finding a stillness and a peace. You know, from uh, from action, from uh, from first, you know, beginning to to look at what our difficulties are, and then we went on to the next stage, which was to open. And look at, you know, look at our past and, and, and look at how that's impacting and affects us today. And then we moved on to the third part of the process, which was uh, when we looked uh, and we, we looked so that we could see. And that part of the process is where we kind of delve down that little bit deeper. Um, and then we're going to move on to the, the fourth part of this process. And that this fourth part where, where we... We begin searching. Chapter 4. Searching. Let us just review here. We begin the process with a start. Opening the door, asking for help. Becoming willing to take that step and admit that there are things that we need to be dealt with. After this huge step, we learn to open, to let our vulnerabilities show, acknowledge our feelings and begin to feel our feelings that are affecting us as human beings. And then we look so that we can begin seeing the patterns, behaviours, blocks, events in our life that have brought us to where we are now. So allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, expressing our feelings and beginning to see how we have arrived here can become confusing, cloudy and mind-boggling at this point. Now we start searching. This essential step is where we begin to draw in all the links and all the loose ties to our past, our thinking, attitudes, values and beliefs. It is here we begin to search for our answers, to challenge these patterns, to challenge ourselves. Challenging my beliefs around myself was my demon. All of me revolved around what I had thought of myself and what I believed others thought of me. My self-esteem and conditions of worth were decimated. I didn't like how I looked, thought that I was boring and uninteresting. I was skinny and pale, I hated football. I liked films and I liked poetry. I didn't fit in. I believed that I was a bit of a joke and that others saw me as so. Someone to walk over, make fun of, take advantage of. Not surprising really when this is how I saw me. So I had to change these beliefs, emotionally and cognitively. A great question I ask of my clients when they say, 
I don't like myself, or I'm worthless, or they don't like me. A question I ask is, where's the evidence? Where's the proof that what you believe is the truth? Those were the kind of questions I had to ask myself honestly, and those were the questions I also had to struggle with honestly. What is the evidence that backs up my way of thinking? And the truth was, there wasn't any. That led to a crisis of, if I'm not who or what I thought I was all along, then where does that leave me? At this point, I had begun to unravel all this negativity, searching for the links to see where and when they had originated. Then I had to decide and choose how I was going to proceed with this new information. The book Jonathan Livingston's Seagull by Richard Bark tells a story of a seagull called Jonathan who loves to fly and challenges his own limitations about flight. Much to the disgust and shame of the other gulls, Jonathan is eventually cast out into isolation. Instead of complying, Jonathan practices and challenges himself even more, breaking down the barriers that restrict him. The book is a fascinating fable of becoming who you really are, told in a simplistic and poignant way. The story, like Jonathan, defies all bounds. Jonathan Livingston Siegel was one of my cornerstone flags which influenced change in my life. And it still is. Change did not happen immediately, however, it planted a seed which germinated through time and was watered and fed on hope and opportunity instead of hurt and suffering. Therapy helped me to reach my own level of acceptance of my experiences. And eventually I was able to reach a place where I could see where my life had been and the path forward to now. It was an uncertainty and an incredibly painful time, confusing and full of uncertainty. I had to change. It was not a choice at this point. I had opened, seen and searched my life for its meaning today and found loose bits of wire, dust and crap inside the motor and nuts and bolts that were loose and needed tightening and replacing. I was driven by this self-knowledge and change was inevitable. Challenging my thoughts and beliefs had led me to develop a deeper set of values about myself and in turn other people. This has become an ongoing process for me now. Since that first experience of becoming me, I have switched on the light and it never goes off. And when working with another person, the power and brilliance shines as people begin to find their own way through their mire and their search for their truth is incredible and, and really profound. Through tears and laughter, I found myself moved beyond words at people's desire and conviction to change. Searching leads to the challenge, the choice between love and fear. The eyes of fear wants us to stay still, keep quiet, where the eyes of love wants us to truly shine in brilliance. Speak out, look up and walk tall and ever forward, taking this learning, this knowledge of who we have been and who we are becoming to new heights. So that was chapter four, searching. And I guess for me, that was probably the most uh, painful and rewarding part of the process. And I think it is for the clients that I see also. That part of the relationship, the therapeutic relationship, you know, when you've started and you've opened and you've looked and you've really seen the difficulties that you've had. And then you start to search. You start searching for, you know, for, for, for solutions. And you really get down deep. 
the next part of the process, uh, the last part of the process, the stage five of the process, is the beginning, which we'll look at in the next episode. I'm also going to drop in an advert now. You may have noticed that there's a, a slightly different setup to how I've done the podcast. I'm just kind of playing around with with Anchor at the moment. Um, so there's an advert that's going to follow this. And what I'd like to stress is the adverts I'm going to be putting in are purely suggestions, things that I've found, podcasts, books, films, television programs, um, that I think are, are maybe worth listening or watching or, or paying attention to. Um, I'm not receiving any money or anything for these. They're just purely uh, another way for me to kind of uh, talk about things that I find particularly moving and particularly powerful. The Devil Egg is a debut novel by an author called Delvin Nelson. Um, it's part of the fantasy sci-fi genre and it's kind of aimed at um, children and teens adventure stories however I, I feel that it kind of works across all all kind of levels really and for all ages it's published by Pegasus uh, under Vanguard Press and is available on Amazon.co.uk or on the uh, PegasusPublishers.com uh, it's 8 99 and it's a fancy story set in an alternative Lancashire where magic and mysticism uh, are around. Who was this little girl with the strange name of Egg? She had no recollection of her previous life or how she came to live with the king who became her pretend granddad. She just appeared in his garden in a dishevelled state and he had taken care of her. Born Reginald Fielding, his only right to the throne was sealed after a game of gin rummy. Was Egg really chaos likely, a mysterious astral occurrence or a sinister vessel? But time was back to front and she realised she wasn't supposed to exist yet. Everything came flooding back to her when she looked into her real father's eyes. It was like wakening from a dream. She remembered her past and her mother ruling over another world. Why was a little battered book called The Thumb so important? Did it hold the plan for future of mankind? Now, I, I read this book recently, um, and I was really impressed with it. It's a fantastic story. Uh, it opens up really well, and it quite quickly gets into this strange story about this strange girl. And, and it's set round about in the 70s, um, and there's, there's witches, and there's magic, uh, and there's alternative dimensions, and there's a science fiction element to it all. Um, and there's terrifying clowns called spare clowns that are like uh, like a zombie army that, that gets summoned and appear in. It's a, it's a wonderful novel. It's funny. Uh, it's like Terry Pratchett meets Neil Gaiman. Um, it's witty. It's clever. And it reads really well. I mean, I highly recommend you, you go out and buy it and give it a go. Um, and I believe that this is the first book in a, in a proposed trilogy. So hopefully if this sells enough books and that, there'll be a second and a third. Um, 
uh, and I really can't encourage you to buy it enough. So that's the Devil Egg by Delvin Nelson, available from www.pegasuspublishers.com or again, if you go on to www.amazon.co.uk, uh, you'll be able to find it there. The Devil Egg by Delvin Nelson. contact me you can email me on info at firstcounseling.co.uk or you can tweet me at t underscore counseling and also if you liked this at all and you'd like to uh, give it any kind of rating if you go onto itunes or wherever you get your podcast and just give it a rating give it a couple of stars um, write a comment or two I welcome any kind of questions, any kind of criticisms and any kind of praise. Um, and until next time, I'll sign out with a simple, sincerely yours, a first counsellor. When we connect with another person, we're sharing a part of us. Each interaction is an opportunity to develop our relationships, reassure us that we are no longer alone in the world. We're distracted by the harsh realities, but for a moment it can help build our self-worth and self-esteem if we connect with another person. At times we can become so consumed by our loves and by our lives and by the many roles we inhabit that we forget to really connect with people. We live in a world of instant messaging and emojis. Connecting on a real level with a person is becoming more and more rare. On the NHS website, The Five Ways to Wellbeing, they write that when it comes to our wellbeing, other people matter. Evidence shows that good relationships with family, friends and our wider communities are important to our mental wellbeing. Mental well-being means feeling good about ourselves and the world around us and functioning well. Building stronger, wider social connections can help us feel happier and more secure and gives a greater sense of purpose. Human beings are social animals. Relationships build a sense of belonging and self-worth. Strong relationships with family and friends allow us to share our feelings and know that we're understood. They provide an opportunity to share positive experiences and can give us an emotional support. They give us a chance to support others, something else that's known to promote mental well-being. There's also evidence that well-being can be passed on through relationships. And being around people with strong mental well-being can improve your own mental well-being. Building relationships for well-being means Strengthening your relationships with people who are close to you, such as family and friends, broadening your relationships in your community and the wider world. And there are lots of ways to build stronger and closer relationships. If possible, take time each day to be with your family. This can include a fixed family time each day. Arrange a day out with friends that you haven't seen for a while. Switch off the TV and play a game with the children or just talk. Make the effort to phone people sometimes. It's all too easy to get into the habit of only ever texting, messaging or emailing people. 
speak to someone new today, have lunch with a colleague, visit a friend or family member who needs support or company, or maybe volunteer at a local school, hospital or community group. And, and do make the most of technology. Video chats apps like Skype and FaceTime are a great way of staying in touch with friends and family, particularly if you do live far apart. 